Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. I want you to stay with me today. We are in week three of The Elephant in the Room. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series and look forward to continuing it today. Our theme verses are Ephesians 4.15, where Paul said we are to speak the truth in love. And when you speak the truth, you start having those tough conversations about the elephant in the room. That issue or problem that we need to be addressing, that we need to be talking about, and when you speak the truth in love, you pinpoint whatever that discussion needs to be. Why do we need the truth? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 32, you know the truth, and the truth will make you free. On Easter Sunday, we talked about the elephant in this room, which was the auditorium, the clash between religion and relationship. Last Sunday, we talked about the elephant in the living room. Does God have a seat in your home? Is he welcome in the living room. Today I want to talk about the elephant in the bedroom. The elephant in the bedroom. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them it's about to get real up in here. It's about to get real up in here. It's going to either get really awkward or really good up in here. Ah, the bedroom. What shall we say at church about the bedchambers? What shall we say in sermon form and format about the bedroom? Well, let me start off by saying this. Our bedrooms are meant to be a safe place. They are to be our getaway, our go-to. Our bedrooms are designed aesthetically, and, to, and not just aesthetically, but also just the way we lay things out, the way we design and the way we build, the way we suit our bedroom, so to speak, in our house. It is meant to accommodate our rest, the need that we have to relax and our desire that we have to unwind. The bedroom's where we can strip down, but at the same time, strip away all the funk and fatigue that tries to attach itself to us throughout the day. Bedroom doors come with locks, and more than likely your bedroom has a window not for the world to see in, but for you to see out. A bedroom is a place where we have our bed, a bed that calls to us where we can crash, cry, cuddle, or even check out into a good night's sleep. The bedroom, ladies and gentlemen, is where you and I are 100% us. No filters, no fillers, no fluff, unafraid, unashamed, and unapologetic. The bedroom is supposed to be, hear me out now, the most intimate of all the rooms in the house. The bedroom is designed to be the most honest place in your home. There's no hiding, no guarding, no masquerading, no acting, no facading, just you, 100% you in the raw and real. Now here's the thing, once a man and a woman enter into this covenant and this matrimony of marriage, we now bring someone else in to share in the realness of who we are. We 
have entered the bedroom with another human being. We've opened up our safe place to another person. We're asking them to become a partaker of our most intimate side and at the same time become a partaker of their most intimate side. This is you seeing them and them seeing you. It's you knowing them and them knowing you. You trusting them and them trusting you. I want you to stay with me this afternoon because if you are in this room and you are not married, I'm going to give you some stuff to put in a can and put on the shelf. If you're in this room and you are a young man or woman in the teenage years, I'm hoping I say some stuff that just sticks to your spirit in such a way where one day you're able to reach back and reflect and remember one or two things I said when you think about getting married. And to every man and woman in this room who is in the covenant of marriage, I want to educate, equip, and encourage you today so you walk out of here with a better grip and grasp on how you can tackle the tough subject of the elephant in your marriage, and that is the elephant of intimacy. The elephant of intimacy. Let me, let me set this groundwork for a second. Because what a marriage does is it plunges you into a world of up close and personal. When you get married, there's a part of your life that is no longer what you have to yourself. But you now enter into a relationship where you share that with another person. Jesus characterized the relational proximity of marriage when teaching about God's design and intention in Matthew 19, it's on the screen for your reading. He said in verse number 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, we learn a whole lot about what God intended for marriage right here with what Jesus said. He answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. There are several elements I want you to see about what God intended for marriage. One, he intended for you to leave. You leave father and mother. There is something about leaving all the familiar and all the family and all of your upbringing and all of your accustomed to, and you have to leave that, and then you cleave. The two people cleave. The word cleave means to be glued upon. There is supposed to be an adhesive element to your marriage where you leave what you came from and you cleave to this new thing you have with this person. He said you be. And what are you? You are one flesh. The two are no longer one. You are to be one flesh. A lot of us have never been equipped on how to be what we are. We've seen a distorted or warped view of what marriage is and isn't, and Jesus tells us cl clearly, you leave, you cleave, and then be what you are. Be one flesh. In fact, you should be one flesh in so much that nothing, no man, nothing is able to put asunder or bring division to what God hath joined together. We understand what makes a bedroom a bedroom. Privacy, security. Based on what Jesus says, we know what makes a marriage, unity and connectivity. But there's an elephant in the room, an elephant called intimacy. Listen to this. Intimacy is defined as closely acquainted, personal and private. Another way to define intimacy, and this is a Derek Anglin definition, intimacy is when you are sharing the innermost part of yourself with someone else. 
Intimacy is when you are sharing the innermost part of yourself with someone else. Now, look, we do a disjustice to the word intimacy because when I say the word intimacy, especially in a room full of people, and a lot of them are married, we injustly put this word in a sexual context. Now, that has its proper place. And yes, we will address that today. But when you have to understand that intimacy is personal and private, to be closely acquainted one to another, where you share the innermost part of who you are with another human being, it's so much more than sexual intimacy. Let me continue by saying it is unfortunate that relationships suffer because the bedroom has a lack of intimacy. The bedroom is a place where there is intimacy that God has designed for a man and woman to share in so much more than a sexual context. Now, this is reflected in our marriages. But it's also, I want you to hear me out, it's also reflected in our engagements and in the dating game. Now, hang on a second. Don't, don't jump to conclusions right there. There are different levels of intimacy based on the level of relationship. There's a different level of intimacy by, based on God's design for marriage than there is a betrothal or an engagement or courting if you're old school or dating if you're new school. There are different levels of intimacy, and, and the Bible is actually clear on these applications and principles and such should be applied based on the level of relationship. But it does help you and I to understand and put into practice what kind of intimacy is expected and possible in our relationship, be it marriage or engagement or dating. It's clear God's design was for the two to be one. Now look, when the two become one, although you have two bodies, it is no longer a separation of souls. It is now a sharing of souls. What could he possibly mean, the two become one? You're still two people. You still have two social security numbers and two different birthdays, and you got two different bodies. Perhaps God came up with a way for the two bodies to become one as to mirror or symbolize the actual union that took place between the two souls. But if we only characterize intimacy by the physical consummation between the two, we do it this justice to the full scope of what God intended when it comes to intimacy and the two being one. So this begs the question, New Grace, where is the intimacy in our marriages? Where is it? Because it's not supposed to be like it is for many people. I, I, wrote, I wrote this down just to try to make it real and relevant. You have two people lying next to each other, but they don't, they don't fully know each other anymore. The real, question, the real question is, did they ever know each other at all? She's wondering what's in his head because he won't talk. He suppresses and pushes everything down in silence because it's what he learned from his dad. They're both getting older, which means they're both changing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, sexually. They're both changing. And guess what? After 10 years, after 20 years, they're no longer the person that you married. It doesn't matter what kind of anti-aging secret sauce you, can, you, 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 you use or what kind of plan nutritionally or dietarily. Here's the deal. They are not physically the same person. 
It doesn't matter what kind of life coaching or bestseller health, uh, best self-help books you read together. You're not the same person that you were psychologically. They're not the same person you married. Two people lying in bed. Maybe they're facing each other, maybe they're not. She's still mad at him over poor decisions he made a decade ago. And he lays there feeling like he'll never meet the standards that she has. He's unworthy of her, and he's already chalked it up as there's no use in even trying anymore. Let's just go through their motions and we'll be glorified roommates at best. They prefer the lights off because insecurity now rules where confidence used to. Is that too close? On top of all this, neither one can forget about the scoreboard. Forget the headboard. Neither one can forget about the scoreboard. We're keeping score. Who's ahead? Who's behind? Who's in debt to who? Who owes who? They lay there with the ashes and the faint glow of embers from a fire that used to burn, and they've only been married for seven years. Intimacy is like a fire that we must keep burning continually. I'm not talking about lust. I'm not talking about the initial stage of infatuation, that crazy romance novel-driven pursuit. You might not have had long Fabio hair, and you might not have rode on a horse shirtless, sir, but you had that same drive. I'm not talking about ludicrous fantasy. I'm not, I'm not talking about that when I talk about a fire of intimacy. I'm not even talking about gratification. When I'm talking about a fire of intimacy that we are supposed to keep burning, I'm talking about a desire for the two people that have become one to be one and there be nothing in between them. So I want to I teach. I want to teach quickly. I want to tell you three areas of intimacy. And I want to set this up with creating a little bit of relational tension in the room. And then I want to give you some answers to the problems that we discover. You might be in this room and be married, and it may be that you need to rekindle your social intimacy. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. You may need to kindle, or rather rekindle, your social intimacy. My question is this, do you like talking to each other still? How healthy is your communication? Do you like staying connected? One study shows that men use 10 to 12,000 words a day. Women use 24. I'll say to 36. <laughs> JJ said million. <laughs> for, the sake, for the sake of being somewhat fair, men use 12,000 a day. Women use 24,000 a day. By 5 o'clock, a man has used 11,998. By 5 o'clock, a woman has used 11,998. She's got another 12,000 to go. You know, if you want to beat any team in any sport or you want to destroy any army in any world, you know what you do? You cut their ties of communication. If you can eliminate a healthy line of communication, you can destroy any partnership, any business, any team, any organization, any military force. And it's interesting that Jesus made a big deal about what we say. 
Because he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Hear that again. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. They don't know your heart if you're not talking. Guys, listen to me. They don't know our heart. Guess what? She lost her crystal ball. She cannot decode and decipher your countenance, your body language, your size, your slump posture. You have to talk. I'm just telling you, I know that's uncomfortable. I know that's foreign. I know that's not how granddaddy and daddy did it. But nothing in this world says that granddaddy and daddy had it right. And if you're, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, sir, because you might be in a point right now where God's trying to really extract some things out of you and break some generational cycles and some patriarchal cycles. And she's not going to know. She needs to know your heart. You know why? Because you share one. And she needs to know how you feel. And let me tell you something, ladies. Keep talking. Oh, yeah, that's right. Just keep talking. Because we broke our crystal ball a long time ago, too. So, so keep talking. Resist the urge to shut down. Resist the urge to suppress. Resist the urge. The silent treatment treats nothing. It doesn't work. It was never designed to work. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart. How do you pull this? You've got to talk. So how, how's your, how's your so social intimacy? Or is there a devil trying to cut ties on your communication? Because that's one of the first steps to destroying the partnership. Two, you may need to rekindle your sensual intimacy. You may need to re rekindle your sensual intimacy. Do you still know the desires of the other person? Do you know what they like? Do you know what they want? Do you know what makes them happy? What makes them fulfilled? Sensual is related to appetite. Now, yes, you can check a box by going home and ordering her favorite drive-thru and bringing it to the house. That, 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 you'll win. You'll win, okay? But, but sensually, this isn't, listen, this is, this is not deep stuff. It's not crazy theological stuff. But I've said in our marriage, marriage conferences before that, that, that sex starts in the kitchen. It does. I know some of you guys right now are like, that's right, that's right. That's right. No, listen to me, Mr. Clean. Let, let, let me tell you something. You're, you're missing what I'm saying. If you know that clutter causes her anxiety, and you go into the kitchen, I'm going to have to live what I'm preaching, Jesus help me, and you go into the kitchen, and you go into the kitchen and you start washing dishes just because, now you might have an end game. He said it starts in the kitchen, bless God. But I want you to hear this, that gratifies, that's, that's part that's part of her relational appetite, that you care about what she cares about, that you're concerned about what she is concerned about. Here it is. You notice something that she notices, and she wants you to notice it. I just want you to see it with me. I want you to care. You don't have to clean this. Just stand there and let me talk to you while I clean them. Like, just sit, just stand in the room. You don't have to do anything. Just be in the room with me. But guess what? Physical intimacy falls into the sensual category. 
because that is a hardwired, God-given part of our appetite and desires. So I go a little further into the bedroom and I ask you, do you still know what the other one likes? And do you still have an interest in stoking that fire? Does that still matter? Is that still a flame that burns? Is there any passion? Are you still into the other one? Here's a question. Are you willing at this point in the, in the relationship, are you willing to learn their love language? I got news for you. Almost everybody in here that's married lives in a bilingual home. You don't speak the same language. By default, your genetic code and your gender. Can I say that? Can I say that? You are not the same kind of creature. And you, by default, speak different languages, emotional and, and physical. And your attraction levels and your sense, all that stuff is wrapped up into who you are as a person, be it man or woman, male or female. But every person also has their own love language. Some people just need words of affirmation. Some people need touch that, uh, that, that affirms affection. And some people just, they like gift giving. Some people, they, they value time more than they do any kind of necklace or any kind of car or any kind of pair of shoes. You may have to learn another love language. You may have to be bilingual in your home. You might have to rekindle your sensual intimacy. You may need to rekindle your spiritual intimacy. My question to you is this, ladies and gentlemen, those who boast of a Christian home and have a Christian marriage, where is your God glue? What do you share together in spiritual intimacy? You know, in my years of pastoring, I have seen it so many times. You have a couple, a man and a woman, and they don't know it, and you try to counsel them, you try to tell them, but if they are, if they are not on the same page spiritually, if they're not going the same direction spiritually, they can be just degrees off, just degrees and that doesn't matter that much in the moment. You don't feel it that much in the moment. Like, let's, let's, go, let's go normal scenario. She's more inclined to pursue God, but she feels held back because he's riding her coattails. She reads more Bible. She has more time in prayer. She cares more whether or not we give. She cares more whether or not being involved. It matters to her if she goes to church four times a month. He could care less if it was one and a half times a month. Well, they're, they're just degrees off. But you go 10 years down the road, what's degrees off today will be miles apart a decade down the road. Let me say this. If you're dating somebody or you're engaged with somebody and your pursuit is God and a life-driven commitment to him and you're degrees off with a man or woman who's okay with being okay, you need to break it off right now. Because I will be counseling you through a divorce in 10 years. Because you'll leave him behind. Or vice versa. It applies both ways. I've seen it both ways. You'll leave her behind. I'm telling you right now, if your degree's off now, that's why me and Pastor Jeff have one objective when we do marriage counseling. Talk you out of getting married if you're not yet married. Premarital counseling, if I can talk you out of it, I'm going to. If I ask uncomfortable questions and make you really do some soul searching and think, oh, do I need to be with this person? And then you don't end up with that person, mission accomplished. 
You didn't need to be. I can't keep. My batting average is dropping every year. People I put together, I'm watching them get divorced in droves. They didn't listen on the front end. By the way, most people when they come to us, they don't want advice, they want agreement. They've already got it made up in their mind. Anyway. I wrote this down. Let me move quickly. You should share the same fire of intimacy for God. Husband, wife. You should have the same passion, the same zeal, the same love, the same belief. I wrote this down as well. It should never be uncommon or weird for you if you worship in front or with the other one. Let me read this again. I want everybody in here. We are a hollerback church. When I say something that agrees with your spirit, you holler back. All right? So, so I, I, want you, I want you to talk to me here. And guess what? We are a worshiping church. We are a spirit-filled, spirit-led church. That don't mean crazy, spooky, oddball, or weird, or backwoods, cousin-loving. I'm not talking about none of that. Are you hearing me? We let God have his way in our worship services. We're not afraid. We're not ashamed. We don't back down on praising our God. We know where we come from. We know where we are. We know where we're going. We are in love with Jesus, and we are not afraid to let the world know it. We're not afraid to brag on him. We're not afraid to get It might be off-putting to get on your feet and clap your hands and praise him, but if you knew where God found us and what he did, I wish I had a witness on Sunday. If you know that God is good and he's worthy to be praised, somebody better help me lift him up and give him glory in this house. All right, that was a test run. Sit down. If it felt out of place for you to worship the Lord and give him praise because your spouse was sitting next to you, you need to rekindle your spiritual intimacy. It should never be uncommon or weird for you to worship in front of or with the other one. It should be uncommon or weird if you can't. Do you want the same thing? The spiritual intimacy, do you want the same thing? Do you like talking about your church? Do you like talking about what God's doing in your life? Does it matter to you if God's welcome in the living room? Do you favor relationship over religion? The bedroom is where you dream together. Do you dream together for God? I'll say this in transition. We have to have more holding us together than a kid or kids. Your kids are not enough glue to keep you together because when they leave the nest, you'll part ways and find different trees. We have to rekindle the intimacy. How do we do this? Very quickly, very quickly, very quickly. First Peter 3, 7, God says something about this. There's one phrase I want to bring out real quickly. First Peter 3, 7. Peter says this when addressing matters of the home. He says, likewise, you husbands, look at this, dwell with them, the wives, look at the word, according to knowledge. Dwell, reside, live together according to Knowledge. The key takeaway here in this verse is the word knowledge. This word means to know in an intimate way. Watch this. God says we're supposed to dwell together and we're supposed to have an intimate knowledge one of another. For, for the sake of comparison and understanding, look at something, a very scary verse. I've read it and quoted it here. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. I want to bring this home. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, that judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, now why, why is this verse being brought up when we're talking about a husband and wife having intimate knowledge, getting to know each other? Jesus gives us an idea of what the word gnosko or gnosis in the Greek means on knowing one another. When Jesus says, you say you know me, you went through all the motions of what it is to know me, but he says, the truth is, I never knew you. When he says, no, I never knew, or I don't know you, he's saying, I don't have an intimate knowledge of who you are. We do not know each other. It's the equivalent of two people meeting once. I know we're talking about marriage, but maybe the elephant in the room is that you're in church and on your way to hell. Because you met once. You met once. And that was it. You said a prayer in VBS. You grew up in church knowing about him. You've been in here and you're like, yeah, I believe that. But no part of your life has taken any kind of shape to back up the faith you say you have. And you're going to stand in front of God and you're going to be shocked on judgment day because he's going to say, I don't know you. What are you talking about? We don't, we don't know each other. I didn't know you. You didn't know me. I was the garnish on the entree of your life. I was the spare tire in the trunk of your car. I was the God you conveniently set on the shelf within reach. We don't know each other. The same word is applied with what God has for a marriage. Do you know each other? Or have you only met and you're trying to do life together? Do you really know one another? The word knowledge relays a shared intimacy. The word is intimacy. See it on the screen. Intimacy. In. Which is letting the other person in. I want you to say the word in. In. Say it with me. In. It is letting the person in. So how do you let somebody in? How do you rekindle the intimacy? How do you get to know each other? Three words I want you to say with me. The first word is choose. Everybody say the word choose. Choose. You do not choose your spouse once at marriage. I, I, I chose them. Well, I hope there's more choosing than that. You do not choose your spouse once. You choose your spouse every day. Every day is a conscious decision that you make to choose your spouse that day. You do not choose them once at I do. You choose them every day when you wake up in the morning. You choose them at midday on lunch break. You choose them when you get off work. You choose them in the evenings. You choose them at bedtime. You choose them. It is a conscious, a conscious choice to pursue the person you're married to, to take interest in them, to hear them, talk to them, love them, like them. Too many couples love each other, but they don't like each other. Choose the other person. 
Choose to want them. Choose to need them. Choose to understand them and continually know them. I wrote this down. Choose to let them in every day. Start choosing intimacy for your marriage. Number two, confess. Say that word with me. Confess. Be quick to take ownership of wrongdoing, mistakes, offense. Uh-oh, it means you're going to have to say, y'all are learning. You're going to have to learn how to say, I'm sorry. See, here's what confession does. Confession brings things to light. It exposes whatever is hiding in the darkness. See, darkness wants to build between you and your spouse. And I'm not, it doesn't have to be harbored or hiding sin. It doesn't have to be some deep, dark secret or some, some, some grotesque thing that you did or allowed. Just, just things that build between you that you don't address, that you don't talk about. And, and, and those things follow you to the bedroom where you turn your back one to another and stare at the wall and wonder what the other one's thinking about that thing. And then you get up the next day and you're carrying it throughout the day. And then you, you, you have a text conversation and tone cannot be interpreted in a text conversation. My God, this messaging is killing our marriages because we try to convey our heart over a text message because it's convenient to hide behind a black mirror and communicate. It's killing us. And then, and, then, and, then, and then you're not sure if she's okay because she responded with okay. And it's just building and building and there's darkness. Darkness and division happens between a man or a woman. And, and a week goes by, 14 days go by, a month goes by, and there's this deep scope of darkness. Well, confession is you turning a flashlight on and exposing whatever it is that is building between both of you. Confession brings it to light. Hey, I, I've been feeling this way and I haven't been saying this. Hey, this happened and when you did this, when you, when you acted that way, when you said that at the table in front of the kids, and, 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 and good for you on choosing to wait until you're in the bedroom with the door closed, staring at each other to say, hey, can I, can I turn this light on and talk about this? Because when you did that in front of the kids, like that's disrespectful. That's, that's not honoring us in front of them, and that's, we're, we're training and teaching them that's okay, and if we, the best, the best gift we could ever give our children is a good marriage, and, and we need to do better, we need to try better, I want to shine the light on that, it's confession time. Confession eliminates secrecy, because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy, and when you have confession in your marriage, it leads to healing, and it removes any and everything that can get between y'all. Number three, confide. Confide. Everybody say that word. Confide. Your spouse needs to be your safe haven from the world. How do you rekindle this intimacy? Socially, sensually, spiritually. How do you rekindle it? Choose. Confess. Confine. You need to have a relationship with your spouse where you can tell them anything. Because marriage is a place where crosses are shared together and not shouldered alone. You have to trust each other with the truth. Listen to me. You have to trust each other with the truth. Ashley and I, we, I have to trust her that she's going to tell me the truth. And I have to trust her when I tell the truth. You know why a lot of people don't tell the truth? Because they can't trust their spouse with how they'll receive the truth. Could it be he's afraid to tell you the truth? 
I'm not talking about something that happened 15 years ago. I'm talking about like the way he feels, what he's carrying, what he's dealing with, the way you make him feel, or whatever it is. And he wants to be able to tell you, but he can't trust your reaction. So it's easier just to carry that around. She has to be able to trust me when I tell the truth. She has to be able to trust my response when she tells me the truth. We have to confide. The word confide is derived from the word confidence. Do you have confidence in each other? Because if you have confidence in each other, watch this. Confidence builds intimacy, and intimacy builds confidence. I told you I was just going to turn the faucet on. I'm letting it fly. We're almost done. Intimacy builds confidence, and confidence builds intimacy. Now, look, everything, everything I'm saying, that was for you, husband. That was for you, wives. But what must the unmarried in the room do? What must the single man or woman do with all this? This is great if you take this stuff and you let it get archived in your spirit and you keep it close by because you're going to need it when you get in a relationship and you can put it into practice. But what, what are you supposed to do in the meantime? What should the unmarried do? I hear this. I hear this all the time from unmarried, and they say it from an okay place. Maybe they're saying it from an honest place. And, and they, they say things like, I don't want to be alone. I want to be with someone. I want to be married. Well, I wrote this down. Until God lets you be one flesh, here is what you need to be in the meantime. One, be a good keeper of your fire. Be a good keeper of your intimacy. You are a manager and a steward of your own intimacy. Do not give it away so easily. Do not share your fire with just anyone. Do not share your social, your sensual, and your spiritual fire with just anyone. They have to prove themselves worthy of that flame. I wish I could preach this thing like I feel it. Be a good keeper of your fire. Two, be the kind of person that you want to be with. Preach it, Pastor Derek. Be the kind of person you want to be with. Here's a thought. Would you date you? Would you date you? Don't make a list of standards that you don't keep for yourself. These guys blow me away these days. They got a list of standards for a woman and none of them apply to themselves. Like, man, your only hope is eBay. <laughs> Amazon Prime, like, and even that's not real. That's a, yeah, anyway. <laughs> be the kind of person you want to be with. Number three, listen to me. Young lady, listen to me. Be in prayer about the right chemistry. Social, sensual, spiritual. Why don't you talk to God about those things? Convey your heart to heaven. This is what I want in a, in, a, in a spouse. Here's a thought, and maybe I'm old school. I'm sorry. But don't, don't date. Like, know enough about the person as much as you can. And more than likely, if they're online, they've already given most of that away. 
I'd be looking at their pictures. I'd be looking at pictures from 12 months ago. I'd be looking at pictures from 24 months ago. I'd be looking at their interactions. I'd be looking at how they comment on other people's posts. I'd be doing my homework on this person before I ever even thought about meeting them out in public and having a date with them. I want to make sure that this person actually checks out from a level of chemistry. Would this be someone I'm socially I could have social intimacy with, that I could be socially connected to. Sensually, do I like to look at this person? Don't check a couple boxes. Like, listen to me. <laughs> On your honeymoon, you don't care if they can sing or not. Like, 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 do you like, do you like each other? Do you like each other? Are you hearing me? Y'all look at me so religious right now. Like, is the sensual box checked? This is important. This is important. But they love, they love God, but I'm not attracted to them. Well, don't date them. Don't date them. They love Jesus, but we don't have anything in common. We sit there and stare at each other. It's not going to work. That's not going to work. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, it's not going to work. Start praying as a single. Start praying for someone that you can have social chemistry with, sensual chemistry with. And that's really me just being polite and polished. And spiritual chemistry with. If you don't meet them in church, where are you meeting them? I know, what, I know what some of the singles right now are doing. They're like, oh, oh, no. I'm not saying, I, when I say church, I mean capital C church. That doesn't mean new grace. But are they serving the Lord? Are they actively pursuing them? Or are they just going to go to church to win your heart? Be content with what God has for you right now. I wrote this down. Don't be driven by the hate of loneliness. Sir, listen, listen very carefully what I'm about to say to you. I've seen a lot of people dive into a serious relationship because they hate being alone more than they love the person they're with. You just hate being alone so bad that you're willing to love her for the rest of your life. Be content with what God has for you right now. You're where, hey, hey, has it occurred to you that maybe you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now? Maybe your standards have increased because you're starting to align your life with God's will for your life, and that's why you've become more picky. Last one, be open to what God has for you later. Come on, JJ, let's close. We're not doing any kind of soul-stirring revival Turn an invitation. Don't even sing. Just play. We're just going to play. And then we're going to pray. Come on, Macron. Come up here. Go ahead and come up here and get ready. Like when I say, when I say amen, you're going to close, and then we're going to all leave the room and go do this. Last one. If you're single, be open to what God has for you later. 
That goes with the previous one. Be content with what God has for you right now and be open to what God has for you later. Maybe you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Who said you have to have somebody anyway? You know, if you learn how to dance with God by yourself, he'll eventually step aside when the right one steps in. Don't share your fire with anybody. You can call it, you can, you, you can call it a soul tie. Lord, I wish I could preach this like I want to preach it. Maybe God will let me talk about this at the beach retreat or something. Anybody you sleep with, you create an invisible connection. You carry that connection your whole life. The word fornication doesn't, doesn't mean sex before marriage. It does, but it doesn't. Greek word is porneia. It's where we get the word pornography, porn. It's any kind of illicit or immoral sexual activity. It's not just, it's not just sex. It's any, anything sexual before marriage. And when you do that, you're, you, remember, remember, when two people come together physically, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6, when two people come together physically, they are emulating and demonstrating what is supposed to happen between two people at marriage. So two people that come together sexually, it's like joining souls, but but not joining souls. And there's this, and people call it a soul tie. I, I don't like putting labels on it and all that stuff, but, but there is something that happens there, and you carry that. And look, the reality is, if we're honest, most of us in the room, we've got some kind of tie. And we've, we've moved on because grace has healed us from it and got us over it, and we've moved it on. But, but that, that is not a prescriptive thing, I'm saying, to married people in this room. That, that is a proactive thing, I'm saying, to unmarried people in the room. Don't just share your fire with anybody. Because once you, once you let that flame go, that flame goes over there and you can't get that back. Don't just, don't just share it. Have some standards. Pray for God to bring you. Here's a thought. Here's a thought and I close. And I'm, I'm, I've went too long. I've taught myself in circles here almost. What was Adam doing when he found Eve? He was right where God put him, tending to the garden God gave him. And he was at a place of rest and peace. He was just out of surgery. He was at a place of rest and peace. And it says, and God brought the woman to him. They're out there. Every Adam has an Eve. If you're in this room right now and you're married and going, God, I wish I would have listened to that because I wouldn't be sitting next to this person. Well, you need to rekindle your social intimacy, your sensual intimacy, and your spiritual intimacy. And you need to choose your spouse tonight because that's what you chose. You need to choose your spouse because that's what you chose. And it sounds like you need to confess some things. Hey, I was wanting to Bruce Lee you during service. (laughs) 
and confide in your spouse. Like you should dream together. You should dream together. You should talk. You should want. You should pursue God together. That's how you get closer, by the way. Man here, woman here, God here. Man pursue God, woman pursue God. Check that out. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Intimacy with God equals intimacy with each other. I'm done. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.